You're listening to a Why Now podcast. This is Golden Nuggets podcast on whynow.co.uk. I'm your host, Al, and I'm a PE teacher of 15 years. This podcast is about interviewing key influencers in education and giving them a platform to deliver their story. I want to explore why and how they do what they do to better inform parents and pupils on their education journey. Okay, welcome back to the Golden Nuggets podcast. Today I've got Bryn Ferris. How are you, Bryn? You okay? I'm good. How are you doing, Al? Good, mate. And um, we're going to talk about the modern day entrepreneur as um, you've just started a company, I know, uh, Grounded. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's always difficult to know exactly where to start, but I guess Grounded, we're a drinks company predominantly uh, with ambition to do food as well. Um, but I guess quite, quite simply put, at the moment, we make functional drinks without the crap. Um, and that and that's on our packaging as well. That's not just podcast language. So <laughs> we're pretty out there with it. I think there's a lot of people in our space who chat about being natural. So rather than just shouting about the same thing, trying to come across a bit differently and at least kind of stick in someone's mind. Um, but we've just launched a range of plant-based protein shakes, um, and and they literally are quite simply what they say on the tin: um, 20 grams of protein, and and they're plant-based as opposed to dairy. So. And what's uh, the reason behind it? That's there's a very long long answer to that, but in short, we we had a, a previous product juices will probably come come onto at some point, um, and they didn't work, and we realised that there there was just a demand for functional drinks, um, and I'm I've been dairy intolerant, um, and so a com- combination of that and the fact that you know me and Gabe couldn't find any um, any non dairy options that grab and go options, so ones you could pick off the shelf and got protein in them, um, we felt like there that there there would be a kind of demand if there was ones to be made, so. That was about eighteen months ago. Um, I mean, is it? Do you think it's a, a sort of a young person's habit now of like going to the gym, getting a protein shake, and it's just in their habitual routine? Is that part of the reason? Yeah, you're... definitely. And um, we, I mean, we've literally just launched our online store, so you know, you start to see names pop up, and and, and you can't help but look into kind of you know what demographic they are, just because it's it's nice to know your customers. And when you're in retail, you don't get that luxury. Um, and actually, it's, it's a big range. I think I think more so now. You know, perhaps protein out, out of all the new kind of nutritionals is something that, that everyone knows that needs to be taking it. It used to be a kind of, you know, just for bodybuilders, didn't it? And I feel like that's kind of changed now a bit. Um, but it, I guess we're skewed to probably, you know, your 22 to 35 age category. Um, but, you know, we don't we don't kind of keep it to that. There's, there's, my dad actually likes them, which is amazing. He's probably the big, biggest critic of Grandin. <laughs> yeah. Dads are always like that, aren't they? They're savage. They're like, it'll never work. It's rubbish. What are you doing? Get a job. <laughs> yeah, she sent me a message. She said, um, uh, actually like these ones. Taste very nice. Um, as you'll know, not quite what I said about the last ones you gave me. <laughs> um, so that's you know, it's the best feedback I can hope for, I guess, in that sense. And um, I suppose let's, I mean, just to give some context to the listeners, this is the, this is the whole purpose of, um, of this podcast as well, is to sort of talk about the sort of, you know, new age millennials of, who, who've gone through the system and are just like, actually, you know what, I'm, I'm a bit fed up of what's out there and I want to do my own thing. And uh, rather than talking to someone who's 45 and 50 who's made their millions already, I'd quite like to know about, you know, obviously someone who's a lot younger, who's just started the journey out and, and has managed to, uh, you know, get a product out on the, on the shelf. So just talk to us a little bit about growing up and stuff. What was it like for you in terms of family? Um, I guess family-wise and and something that I never really thought of today and and, and started diving on earlier, but 
you know, all my my mum, my dad, uh, and all but one grandparent were all self-employed, and I'm not sure if that trickled into me subconsciously um, and kind of pushed me towards doing something, perhaps kind of you know on my own or not part, you know, not working for a company in that sense. Um, but I've mixed as well in terms of when I started doing grounded. My dad wasn't hugely supportive. My mum was understanding, supportive, and kind of let me do my own thing. Um, so really mixed in that respect. Um, but I think growing up with parents, they were always, I was never particularly good at school. I'm not going to say I was an Asian because I definitely wasn't. Um, and they were exceptionally kind of helpful uh, and, you know, always kind of moved heaven and earth to make sure that I was doing as best I could in school. So I've got a lot of kind of, I've got a lot of thanks to give to them, I guess, in that sense. And what, I mean, do you think university prep, you know, was, is, was worth it for you? I don't think my undergrad was worth it. Um, perhaps because I chose the wrong one. I don't want to kind of skew anyone's opinions of, of, of certain degrees, but I think I should have done something that perhaps had a bit more application in the real world. Um, I think that's probably my opinion, my humble opinion, that there's a huge lack of that in the education system. There's not enough that you can apply in the real world. I think my, <laughs> my postgrad was finance, and that's definitely been helpful, although not directly applied to a, a drinks company, um, but it's definitely had aspects that I've, I've used a lot of, and I think probably more so going for investment um, and, and having to kind of sell yourself as well as the company looks definitely looks good as well, saying you've got a master in finance. Um, I wonder how much I actually remember from it, though. Just sort of uh, going back to university, though, but the thing is, you went to Loughborough, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like, Loughborough's a decent uni. Um, you did geography, right? Yeah. And uh, obviously, you know, anyone who's sporty, they probably love it there and stuff. But... Um, I think this is a big dilemma, isn't it, for a lot of people? Do they just go straight into work at 18 or do they go to university and for what reasons? You know, with 50 grand worth of debt wrapped around your neck, it's a massive investment, isn't it? Oh, huge. I was on the cusp of the, the three grand to nine grand and thought about perhaps redoing an A-level and, and reapplying somewhere and just decided that wasn't worth it. My brother did the opposite, my twin. Um, he was also obviously the same year and decided to take a year out and stomach 27K for the the, the um, tuition fees and I had nine which is a bit of a weird kind of um, juxtaposition there um, I don't know I mean I, I wonder whether now I would um, although there's so much pressure on it and it's almost like a tick box now rather than a kind of plus if that makes sense you know in the old days mm. if you went to university that was great now it's like expected um, mm. I find myself looking at CVs now and you know I put on there that they need to have a degree because it's kind of I guess it's proof that they can start something and finish it um, shows a certain level of kind of like I don't know aptitude and, and the fact that they can go there and perhaps have a job on the side shows shows something but but I don't think now it's perhaps or it should be kind of revered as it used to do you know what would be impressed me more go on someone who's done an Ironman yeah yeah I'd, I'd agree and I definitely it, it's a shame that CVs kind of the fashion of them is that they don't have they have this tiny line at the bottom for interests which people fill mm. with tennis and horse riding and you know be nice to know a bit more about people i think to be honest but how how, how do you even know them do you know what i mean like you're going to employ someone and if they're if they're bad if they're a bad egg getting rid of them is a nightmare as an employer and you're like what so i'm just going to do word of mouth trust if i know them if they're a good lad if they're a mate if i know them through a friend of a friend and that and, and that and that's it but what happens if there's a talent out there that you need that you can't really get through a mate of a mate because there's this quite a specialist niece thing and you think well how am I going to employ someone? What's the cultural fit? Um, yeah, it's it's difficult. It's really difficult. It is. Um, interviewed three people today and trying to tease out of a student what they actually do with their life as opposed to what they think 
what they think you want to know what they do with their life is quite difficult. Another question is like, what books have you read recently? God, uh, I've just read um, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. That was interesting. Um, Who's it by? Uh, oh God, I've got it on my bookshelf there, but I can't remember. Um, <laughs> that's the worst part of it. Probably one of my worst days is my memory. Um, never served me well. I actually, my grandma for Christmas gave me the Kremlin School of Negotiation. Um, quite heavy reading, but interesting. And actually some really great stuff in there, but only for someone perhaps who's trying to sell something in somewhere and you know, weasel their way in. That's interesting because like this obviously called Golden Nuggets. Like all, I, I've got a terrible memory. I literally forget what I did yesterday. And then I'm like, I, I, honestly, like exams for me were so difficult, which is probably why I'm a sports teacher. And so, like, it was like, I've got to do this exam and I've got to regurgitate all of this information. And it's like, and it's like, why are we even doing this? Why, why do I need to regurgitate? I'll just go on Google. I'll go on my phone. I'll tell you in two seconds, whatever you want to know. It's like the, the most useless way of testing ever. I agree. I, I felt like perhaps that's why at university didn't serve me well as I spent my whole life trying to remember kind of, you know, facts and stuff rather than, I guess, learning processes and developing skills, which... The things that for someone like me, I remember and I, I'm able to apply and use somewhere else. Uh, and, you know, I, I spent it cramming. And then as soon as the exam was gone, it was almost like my brain deliberately just let everything go. You know, Homer Simpson would say, every time I learn something new, an old thing pops out of my head or something like that. And that's how I always felt. You know, it was exam period, right, that's all done. I never want to do that again. Um, and, and that, I think, university in that sense, perhaps, I felt failed me in that, in that, in that way, I think. I think, though, there was something we, we were mentioning before we went on and... Uh... It's quite funny, actually. You probably have a lot of the best conversations when you're not actually doing the pod. And I, I keep on doing it quite regularly with some guests. And um, something that struck home for me is like, oh, we've been trying to work on this, that and the other. But actually, we just had a random connection and something came on my desk. And I did, wasn't expecting it. And we had nothing for six months. And then all of a sudden something... I think that's this is what happens all the time, though, with like when you're not looking for something, it happens and it comes around. And it's probably like the dating game, do you know what I mean? Like, if you're always out looking for it, it you just you, you look too desperate, so you, ne- you never get an opportunity. So it's... it's, 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 so it's, it's, once. It? it's like buses. It's like that in Manchester, mate. It's like one bus an hour, mate. It's terrible. Um, that's why I moved down to London, but... Um, <laughs> that and the, and the uh, rain, mate. Oh, God. Um, anyway, let's move back on to uh, sort of, you know, the, the reason after... So you went to Exeter, did a Masters in Finance. I'm guessing, though, like, you couldn't have done that without going to Loughborough. And also, like, doing a Master in Finance, that gave you a good start? Yeah, it was, um, God, it was a struggle to get onto it. I mean, I I had to do an accounting course at LSE over the summer, um, which was gruelling and not my kind of kettle of fish or cup of tea. Um, and then Exeter rejected me. Um, sorry, they rejected me beforehand. And I, my mum basically, you know, owe it to her she basically just go down there and you know walk into admissions and tell them why you want to why you want to go there we, what have you got to lose and I had nothing to lose because I didn't have an offer so I kind of walked <laughs> down there in the summer um I felt like a penguin in the desert I had no idea what I was doing and um I just wandered in there and I spoke to this lady it was a horribly awkward conversation but I basically said I come down from London you know I've been rejected I really want to go here here's why I think I should kind of be accepted and hear the reasons why I think you've you've rejected me for the wrong reasons and they gave me a kind of conditional offer on doing the LSC exam, um, and then I did the exam in the end, and, and it ended up going. And it was just that it was that was that at that point was one of those things. I was, I was so glad looking back that my parents had kind of given me that little, you know, push because I think I needed it. Do you think then being self-employed as well sort of 
you know like you know. definitely yeah i think mum being like you know just just go and do it and have a crack um she's a bit like that and i think that's definitely served her being self-employed um just be, being a bit out there with how she's acting yeah definitely mm-hmm. uh, didn't think that at the time but i think on, on reflection that's 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 far on and uh so like you know leaving university you then obviously had another journey didn't you so do you want to tell us about your first work experience? What was that like? Yeah, so actually, to, to rewind almost, I think it was nine months then, I, so I finished Loughborough, and in between Loughborough, I knew I wanted to do my master in finance. I'd, I'd applied to America. I'd got the dates wrong and, and basically fudged it up, um, and then I realised that actually it was going to make a lot more sense just to do it back in England, far cheaper. Um, so I knew I was going to do my master's somewhere um, at the end of the year, but I needed to fill this gap. Um, I'd had an internship at a brokerage, and it seemed the kind of natural progression to kind of pick up from where I left off with the, with the boss there. Um, a really nice chap, and, and he, he, he was very kind and looked after me. But I think the experience definitely was, um, it told me what I didn't want to do rather than what I did want to do, which I think was helpful in some respect. Um, I mean, it was, it was pretty grueling. I, I think I stood out because it was an office that you kind of, bizarrely, no one really had gone, not many people had gone to university, um, they were from, I guess, a completely different part of town from me and all seemed to know each other. So it was quite hard getting in there um, and making friends with people. Um, and pretty grueling hours, got to be in on the desk at six um, and leave at five. And it was all just a bit overwhelming. Um, but definitely taught me a few harsh lessons about um, working in a kind of corporate environment, which was probably a big, big push as to why I decided to kind of jump in and, and, and do grounded in that sense. Why was it then? What were the main reasons why it pushed you out? I just couldn't stand people who I didn't feel like were very competent telling me what to do. I don't know if that's just a really bad trait, but I could. there were people who had just been there for a long time and had seniority because of that, but they weren't competent at all. And it just struck me as a bit ludicrous that there's this system where almost people get promoted. I feel like this is kind of uh, happens in the wider, wider kind of corporate place where people get promoted because they're good at their job and they're no longer doing the job they were doing. They're actually doing more management, which is not what they were doing before and not what they're good at. And so you get these people in positions of a kind of management and power who frankly aren't very good at getting the best out of people. Um, and I felt like that just, I don't know, I, I just, it didn't feel right and it didn't sit with me right. Um, and, and I guess that's, that's part of it in that sense. Do you think there are any sort of uh, intergenerational differences with people? It's hard to stereotype, right? And you don't like to do it, I'm sure. But are there some, like, you know, especially in the corporate world, because there's a lot of people now just going, I'm fed up of it. I've had enough. I don't want, I don't want to do it. I think outlook-wise, definitely. I don't know if it's the, the internet that, that I guess my generation's grown up with and you just see a lot more and hear a lot more of everything. But I do feel like definitely there's a lot of my friends who are, are unhappy with their jobs to a certain extent. They don't feel perhaps like they're working for a company that really resonates with, with who they are. Uh, or always doing enough to kind of, I guess, make the world a better place. I feel like that's probably one of the biggest differences. Our generation is definitely really taken out, I think, by the horns in that sense and putting pressure on companies who've been doing the same thing the same way for a long time. Um, I think, yeah, definitely reflected in my friends. Um, and I think now for, for something like that me and Gabe are doing, we're trying to put our stamp on things, trying to do things perhaps a bit differently, make a company where perhaps people who come really, really resonates with them. Um, the way we're doing things and, and they can buy into it and add into it as well. Why did Gabriel, why has he got such a strong opinion about sort of, you know, plant-based protein and is he a vegan himself? No, neither, neither of us are vegan. I'm dairy, I'm dairy intolerant. Gabe's pretty, pretty plant-based. I eat a huge amount less meat than I, than I used to. Um, I guess 
we, we, we hooked onto plant-based because it, it, you know, there were two reasons. I guess one of them was that personally I needed, I, I needed the product. I think that's where a lot of ideas come from. Um, that for me, there wasn't a dairy, a, a non-dairy drink in this space. Um, but I think also we knew that plant-based was going to be more, more than just a trend. You know, you've got to be careful in the food and drink space. You don't latch onto a trend that fizzles out in six months. Something like perhaps, I don't know, kombucha or cold-pressed juices are trends. They kind of come and fall. And, and whereas plant-based, I, I feel, is fixed to kind of at least more majority our generation, of, you know, being far more environmentally friendly, you know, looking for more sustainable products, um, looking to eat more sustainably and perhaps not drinking dairy is going to help that. Um, I mean, that, that splits some people's opinions. But in our opinion, I think if you can have a non-dairy drink, you're probably doing a bit better for the environment as long as things are sustainably sourced. Uh, and that's why we went for it. And uh, I'm guessing it'll probably help for your uh, weight training and, and looking good as well. Well, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> so let's talk about taking the leap. You know, lots of people, they uh, they finish something, they get pushed. But you just, you went, you know what, actually, I'm going to I'm gonna leap, I'm going to go myself. Yeah, I, I, was, I was like, almost as on top of that, I'd say it was almost like I fell into it because I basically finished my master's. Um, it had been a, an absolute kind of slog. And... I started to apply to grad schemes with really this kind of massive feeling in my stomach that I just knew it wasn't for me, but I was doing it because there seemed to be this natural thing, do your master in finance, go into banking. That was kind of how it seemed to go. And and I guess I'd never been in a position where I felt like I had a good application. At the time, I felt like I did because I got a merit in finance from Exeter and I thought this was going to be great. This is something which I'm quite interested in, is those people, do you think it's an expectation now that um, you know, to live in London, you have to go into finance because it's the biggest industry in London and it generates the most amount of money and you need you need a lot of money to have a mortgage to buy a place in London to do it. It's the money aspect, it's the it's the salary, it's the there are a lot of people, you know, earning a lot of money and not really having a chance to spend it or they're work you know, you that they're working so much so that there's no chance for them to actually, you know, use it to a certain extent. I think there is this, you know, finance has always paid well and it probably always will to a certain extent um so definitely definitely from that perspective um i know that that was definitely a pressure that was on me i think an expectation from both my parents to a certain extent um that i would go into finance having them very kindly funded my masters um but i just i guess i fell into it in that, that gave gave we we'd gone for several drinks and gave had started this company called grounded and it was doing juice and it was it was going okay but commercially wasn't great um, but the product was a good product. And he said, listen, I'm really struggling with the numbers. You've just done your master in finance. And I actually said, listen, if you want help, let me know on the off cuff. And he said, yeah, that'd be great, actually. I'm no expert, but I did a bit of numbers for him. We worked together for a couple of weeks and then we just worked really well together. We were having a great time. And I was like, God, this actually doesn't feel like work. And had this like weird moment of realization where I was like, this is actually something that I could see myself doing for quite a while. And we kind of, you know, made it official, sorted out equity know split everything and it was it kind of just went from there and then kind of blinked suddenly and it's been three years it's a bit weird well when you when you had that reality moment i call it the magic moment what was it yeah it's a bit it's a bit cheesy actually and you probably have a chap called gary vinicek i think or vinicek yeah the american guy yeah and there was a paid yeah. ad on my facebook and it was basically him saying listen if you've just graduated it was a bit weird because i'd had just graduated so if you just graduated you're in a position where you're literally in the least risky part of your life you probably don't have a mortgage. You probably don't have kids. You're probably not married. You know, this is the best time to do something outrageously risky if you can, if you are, you know, able to live perhaps with your parents and not pay anything. I mean, why would you not? And I just realised, like, 
I would hate the idea to look back and feel like I missed an opportunity. And it felt like an opportunity in that sense to just have a crack. And if it failed, well, kind of, oh, well. Um, mm. and, that, and that was it. That was literally it. And then, and then that was the same time I had a conversation with Gabe and, and, and then just went from there, really. OK, so let's talk about the reality of, you know, financially, though. Like, you know, everyone can say, oh, I've got a great idea and you've, you've had a success story. But for every success story, there's nine others that fail in the first first year. So uh, what was it like to actually raise funds for you? Uh, oh, it's probably the most grueling thing I think I've done in my life so far. We're hands down by a country mile. Um, it takes so much longer than you expect. I mean, sitting, staring at your computer, trying to work out how you're going to raise um, some money is a bizarre place to be because you just don't know where to start. Um, and I think for us, we really muddled our way through. I must have sent you know, I've sent hundreds of investment emails and we're not talking in kind of copy and paste. We're talking, find the talk that they've done on, on YouTube, watch it, take one of their points that resonates with you and really try and weave that into some kind of salesy pitch. Mm. Uh, you know, we've made all the mistakes in the book, you know, it, you know, naively putting our valuation in emails that just makes us look so kind of, you know, silly and young and, and, and kind of inexperienced. And we've now done two rounds and learned an awful lot from both of them. Um, but and there's a huge amount of things I definitely do differently looking back. But it's it's very it's very grueling. Um, it took a long time. It's a full time job. It's not something that people think that if you're running a company and you're going to raise funds, you kind of do it on the side and see all the email after work. It's not at all. I mean, I stepped away basically from running it and was just doing investment for I'd say a full year out of the three years I've been at Grounded has just been doing investment, just been raising funds. And and, and how long will it take you from like you've you've started? to actually turn in a profit well we're, i guess i guess technically i mean when we've got investment we're gonna st- we'll hopefully be in profit by the end of this year although we're hoping to break even because we're going to plow it back into the business um yeah. but we've we've made losses for the last three years i mean not big ones because we haven't been yet we have a very low overheads um business been going for five years now gabe did it for about a year and a half two years before i joined bit part-time and then when it became more serious went full-time um worked exceptionally hard on it and you know our previous juice product didn't have a margin we needed to, to take grounded to the next level. And we actually ended up pulling it from all the retailers it was in um, at one point, which is a real low point for grounded. Um, and I think when your things haven't been going well, it's very, it was very easy to kind of, we could have walked away then and we were very close to doing it um, to a certain extent. So. But you've done amazingly well though. I mean, like whole food, Selfridges, you know, Planet Organic, it's yeah, big accounts. Mm, yeah. Well, we, we, I mean, the juices were in some, you know, I feel like now we're still almost behind in the juices because, you know, Gabe got the juices into all, all those niche places in, in London before I joined. And then just before I joined, murmurs from Sainsbury's. And then within three months, we were in Sainsbury's, which was mental and a bit of a learning curve, almost ruined us because we didn't have the working capital we needed and we just weren't prepared. Um, but now we know, we're more mature now. We know, we know what we're doing to a certain extent and we've made the mistakes that allow us to have learned and, and realise that we now know the right way to do certain things. So I'm quite excited for the year coming up because we finally, for the first time in Granite history, got some money um, and we're able to, you know, we're able to play with that. Basically, it's kind of our, you know, it's ours. And that, what was the, you know, the journey through there in terms of like, you obviously got to manufacture it. So where where was it that you manufactured it? So we actually so we made the juices in the Netherlands um, and we had a few interesting trips out there. But we're now manufacturing in Germany. Um, manufacturing is one of the hardest things to do I think for a food and drink startup perhaps for some hardware startups as well it's very difficult to find them they don't have glamorous websites and they don't like young people who don't know what they're talking about talking to them so it's a real barrier to entry I think in especially food and drink 
um, and one now that perhaps because we know it so well, it's a, it's, it, we've been able to develop this previous range with a lot less difficulty than we otherwise would have done before. Um, but when you're starting out, there's a huge amount of mistakes you made. I mean, we've made everyone under the sun. Um, you know, we've we've owed people a fair amount of money at certain points, um, and and you know made some horrible mistakes along along the way. I mean, that's a long time as well not to make any money. So you must have had some restless nights, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for the quenches we turned over about eighty k, which sounds like a lot of juice to a certain extent, but not really for what we should have been doing. Um, and, and, and back in 2008, as I said, when we pulled it from all the stalls we were in, um, Sainsbury's, W. Smith's, um, came out of co-op, um, all the all the niche places at Harrods in London, everything. You know, we were sat there, you know, staring at our kind of, you know, empty empty hands, didn't really know what to do. Uh, we owed a fair bit of money. It was pretty scary. Uh, and it was, I think, just knowing how far we'd come and how much effort we'd put in and all this knowledge we'd accrued that we felt like, we had this idea to make these plant-based protein shakes and we just felt like we'd come, we'd come past a point of no return and it'd be doing ourselves a disfavor, a disservice if we didn't kind of plow on and, and crack on with it. Um, and that was probably the thing that kept us going and those very, very kind of... How, how do you even like find the right people in Germany? So it, it's so difficult. I mean, you know, we knew, I guess, to, to drill down on why we, why we ended up there, we knew that this bottle needed to look different because what we were making to put inside of it was different. You know, it was a plant-based milkshake, uh, which on the surface two years ago, no one would have bought. Um, we knew it needed to look different. It looks very similar to a um, a kind of an old-fashioned uh, milk bottle that you might have got at school. Um, if anyone's listening, go on www.grounder.co.uk. You'll see what I mean. Um, shameless plug there. Um, and <laughs> um, it's we knew we wanted something sustainable as well. We couldn't go into plastic again. You know, we're in 2020. We weren't going to launch another, you know, the plastic bound uh, food and drink um, product. Um, and luckily this, we found this company in Germany. I think Gabe actually found them on Google images and kind of traced it back to this company, called them, uh, spent quite a while trying to set up a meeting because I think when they looked on our LinkedIn and saw two fresh faced 26 year olds at the time, they weren't, you know, they didn't think of oh, dollar signs. Um, and we've worked with them for a long time to get to this point where we have a partnership with them and they're, we're able to package our drinks in their packaging, um, which is, you know, 75% paperboard. We're going to have plant-based plastic caps by um, January. Um, and I think really the kind of the kind of packaging we need for the product we have, which is different. I mean, you, you pride yourself on having quite a low carbon footprint as well, don't you? With, with yeah, the yeah. Well, we've we've done our best. I mean, when you when you compare the bot when you compare the bottles to what we might have used, which would have been say glass or plastic, um, compared to plastic, they have a forty one percent less emissions attached to them over their life cycle, and compared to glass, they have I think seventy two percent less emissions over their life cycle. So, I I do feel like as a small company, we've we've done quite a lot in that in that respect, and we could be paying less for bottles uh we could be paying less for ingredients and then coming from further away but we have done our best to source them as close as possible so that our carbon footprint's lower um mm. gabe will love it that i'm mentioning that our um our sunflower seed protein comes from a factory in the netherlands which actually sends 85 percent of their crop um to distributors by barge you know it's the lowest form of transport that you can use unless it's an electric car so <laughs> we're, we're doing our best we're doing our best we're not perfect though mm. No, well, I mean, you know, look at sort of um, Extinction Rebellion sort of kicking off again and 
I don't really want to go into the politics of it all, but there's a lot of talk about, you know, sort of looking after the climate and reducing carbon footprints, and that's everywhere, isn't it, at the moment? So, you know, like you said, like looking at taking the bull by the horn and sort of, you know, just taking the first stance with everything. And uh, I think it's great, mate. I think it's great what you're doing with that. But um, we're going to do a bit of a Q&A now. Um, so there's a few questions I've got from some of my team. And... Yeah, we'll just fire away. So, um, how did you create a buzz around your product in a market that I'm sure is very competitive? Um, I think we've made something that's genuinely different. Um, there, there are there are two other plant based protein shakes that I can think of, but they're stuffed full of rubbish. Um, our ingredients list has nine ingredients, all of which you'll find in your kitchen probably. Um, and I think that's the that's that's what we've really tried to do: make something that's clean. Uh, I guess our ethos is that you know. We kind of believe if you if you mess with nature, it'll probably mess with you. And so we try and you know, stay on the safe side of that and keep things mm. as kind of unprocessed as possible. Um, so mm. I think that immediately resonates with customers, the clean labeled aspect of it. Um, and I think in a crowded market space with so many ingredients lists that you know are longer than your arm and that you can't pronounce half of them, that's mm. perhaps I think how how we've started to kind of cut out a bit of a brand for ourselves. Why do you think people should be consuming more plant based products today? Uh, I think several reasons. I mean, I, I think it's for me, I've been dairy intolerant. I think a lot of people are mildly dairy intolerant and don't really mm. recognize the effect it's having on their body. I think everyone would do well to at least try it and see if it helps. And, you know, for some people will be fine and some people might feel better for it. Um, mm. I think there's also the environmental aspect as well, um, that, you know, cows are linked to a huge, a huge amount of emissions that are created, um, you know, across the world. And I think if, if you're consuming a plant-based version of that, a plant-based milk, of course, they vary in, in their emissions. Um, I, think, I, think that, I think that can only be a good thing. And um, I've got another one for you. As you're in a highly competitive market, do you feel that you constantly need to reinvent and improve your drinks? I wouldn't say improve our drinks, but I would say improve our offering, definitely. There's a huge mm. pressure, I think, as a drinks company or as a food company to stay relevant. Um, you're only as good as your most recent product. Um, and I think if we just you know, kind of sat on our thumbs here and didn't bring out any more flavours or any more kind of products we'd be left by the wayside, you know, innocent didn't get what they've got by just doing smoothies. You know, there was a huge amount of, of other products they put around it. They're now doing coconut waters, you know, constant, constant innovation in a space where trends are changing is so important. Uh, and we're already now thinking about the flavors that we're adding to our range and future products that we can perhaps, you know, sell to the same type of customer that's looking for something that's more natural, more sustainable and frankly healthier. Mm. And do you feel like you might, as well in the future, um, have some plant-based protein snacks? I think it's, I mean, the snack market is, you know, there's no more saturated space than that. But I do feel like, like we looked back two years ago and thought there's nothing that tastes nice in this plant-based protein space, drinks-wise. You know, mm. I think that's probably similar in the snack space. There's not too many. There are a few that, are, you know, are, are decent, but I think there's definitely room for improvement. Um, we've got a few other things up our sleeves as well, which I think now that we're starting to expand our direct consumer channel, that would be fantastic to be able to get to people's houses on subscription. Um, I think mm -hmm. this whole Corona thing has given everyone a much more heightened sense of kind of health and well-being. And I think for a company like us, that's probably a good thing. Um, lucky that we raised during COVID and that we've survived it. Um, but, you know, I think that's just literally luck. You've got two shakes there. You've got a chocolate one. What's the other one? And a mint chocolate. And a mint chalk. Mint chalk. Yeah, and we, yeah, and we've got a few others in the pipeline. Um, I mean, something like a kind of chocolate orange would, I guess, divide people. But we've got a few others. I think the key is making sure that 
people are trying buying on mint choc and choc now that they're they're able to try a vanilla down the line or perhaps a banana because i would have it on my cereal funnily enough uh, my housemate does i caught him doing it the other day and I, it never even occurred to me which seems bizarre since it's been my life for the last 18 months um i yeah. definitely that's the first thing for me i'd be like i need to get one for my cereal well we'll send some over yes let's see. <laughs> i'll bring it i'll take it into school see what the guys think perfect <laughs> Um, so it sort of brings me on to some golden nuggets and this is sort of like wrapping up some advice for anyone who's sort of, you know, those late teens, they're about to go to university, they're not really sure whether they want to, whether it's financially worth it, they want to become an entrepreneur or they're thinking about doing their own thing. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give? I'd say it's certainly not glamorous for the the first few years and it's still not now, but it's more manageable. But I think one of the most important advices I'll give is, you, you, as I said earlier in the pod, you literally there's never a period in your life which you're going to have less risk, and I think that's a really important thing to take on board. Um, regret's a difficult thing to live with, um, and I think if that's the thing that motivates you to try it now, then then use that. Um, I think as well from a starting something and getting advice and you know keeping on the straight and narrow, find someone that you know has knowledge in the field that you're looking to go into, and that believes in you and, and rates you in, in some way and is encouraging because that's so important to have someone that you can rely on and the right person to rely on is, is important but also a hard one to find I'd say those those two those two things are really important and um just to just to sort of uh I, I thought just one more as well is there something about um risk as well do you think that is something because we touched on it whether it was nature or nurture before but taking the leap rather than being pushed, do you think that's something that you can learn? Um, I think perhaps it's the influence that, you know, beforehand, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's a bit like, stand, you know, when you go skydiving and it's what is that feeling that makes you just jump off the edge? Um, I think it can also be a bit of a, it can be a push perhaps from every every other option you've thought of just not aligning with, with, with how you feel like you'll, you know, you, you'd work on it, i.e., I just didn't feel like I'd do a particularly good job in the corporate world. Um, and I work hard. Uh, I'm not particularly efficient, but I knew that working for my own company, I could put all my time into it. No one else is going to do the work. And I was prepared yeah. to do you know, some of it. So I think it can be a push as well. Well, mate, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Anyway, it's been fascinating. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to having some with my granola, mate, in the morning. So. Well, we'll send some over. Thanks, Alf. Really appreciate it. <laughs> okay, mate. All the best. Perfect. Thanks. Thanks.